Let's have a word of prayer. And again, as we uh, open up, John, thank you, Father, for your word. Um, it's a, it's, uh, I was thinking this morning about <clears throat> just the awkward situation we have here. We miss seeing everybody, miss the girls. We haven't seen them in a few weeks and, and, uh, it's been kind of spotty. We've had to, can- um, not really cancel, but kind of, uh, alter our watch night service, Christmas days plans and, and all these things. Um, but we remember that there's, uh, we're not alone. There's a lot of churches that haven't been meeting in person at all. And we've been blessed through so much of, uh, this COVID situation to, to be meeting in person. And, uh, but I just, uh, um, pray for this time in your word. Thank you that, that as we come into the scriptures again this morning, both here in Sunday school and in service, that we are reminded of the, the bigger picture, that there is more, there is more to life than, than the immediate problems or the immediate struggles that we have or our, our particular feelings at any given time or the circumstances. No matter how bad the circumstances in this life are for believers, um, we have our best days yet ahead of us and we look forward to an eternity in your presence. So Father, I was listening to R.C. Sproul this morning, uh, though talking about the realities of, of hell. Uh, Gehenna is the, the term that Jesus used, the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. And, and uh, what an apt metaphor that is um, for that. And Father, our, our hearts are heavy for many of our family, our friends who don't know you. Help us to to uh, it's almost it's almost an unspeakable subject. It's hard to even think about spending an eternity uh, in torment, and uh, and yet that's what your word teaches. And and so we, on the one hand, are so grateful for the um, the seriousness that you took it, and, and not just sympathy, but you spared no expense. Um, but also, uh, our hearts ache for many who will not be in heaven, in your presence. And um, I think what Paul says, that if I could trade places with my brothers in Israel, and I'm not lying, I would do it. And, and that's a, what a profound thing to say. And I know he and, and the early church as well felt this same burden. So we thank you that you are bigger than all of these, these things that we face, uh, even this morning. And pray that you'll help us as we open uh, John 7 again to understand uh, what it is that you have for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 7. Uh, we spent, I think it was four sessions. Um, I don't know, I intended to go that long, but <clears throat> it was, it, I felt like it was a really good study. I hope you did too. On the Feast of Tabernacles, right? That's not something you hear a lot of churches. Uh, when's the last time you heard a message on the Feast of Tabernacle or any of the feasts, really? Um, Passover, we probably talk about more than any of the the prescribed feasts on the Jewish calendar. We're going to talk about uh, Hanukkah, probably not in the depth of, it doesn't really have the depth that the Feast of Tabernacles does because it's not commanded in the law. Uh, and it's not really necessarily a prophecy per se. But we will talk about it when we get to chapter 10, because the second half of chapter 10 uh, happens against the backdrop of, it's called the Feast of Dedication. 
in John, but it's also, we know it today as Hanukkah. But uh, anyway, I hope that was, um, that was instructive to you. And, and again, just the main point I think with that is, is the command to rejoice, right? That it is, it is rejoicing in the salvation of God. And there's a sense in which that feast of all of them is uh, timeless, right? Uh, or maybe not completely timeless, but it, it spans all of history because all of history, no matter at what point an individual person is born, every single human being ever uh, created and it has existed is touched in one way or another by this this plan of salvation and the consequences if you receive it and the consequences if you don't, right? Every person is touched by that. And so, um, but for those who participate with the Lord in the sowing and the reaping, as Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, both rejoice together, right? And so that Feast of Tabernacles is the one of all those seven feasts that's going to survive in the millennium. And I believe that is because it's the one feast still yet to be fully realized in the New Jerusalem, which is interesting, okay? So hopefully you, you got that out of there. Um, and uh, And so... That particular text is John 7, uh, 37 through 39, right? And I'll just read that again. We're not going to comment on it because we do want to, I do want to move us, move us into the last section of John 7 this morning. And, uh, I'm sure we won't finish that this morning, but we will start it. And, uh, and we're getting near the end of the chapter. Okay. <clears throat> but, uh, 7, 37 through 39 says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, and I'm reading from the New King James this morning, by the way, and I'll explain why in a minute. Um, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So you remember that that last day of the feast is the seventh day, okay? Um, there was a little confusion on my part when I first looked at that, because the feast is seven days long, but it, right at the very end on the eighth day is, a, is another Sabbath, right? So you could say that there was eight days of self celebration in there. Uh, and so I like to express it as a seven plus one. Okay. Um, but, but that reference here, the last great day of the feast, it has its own name, um, uh, by the way. And it, it is the capstone water ceremony, right? And this was not commanded in the law, but it was a tradition. And, uh, Days one through six, they would have that little ceremony, that little parade that would go down from the temple, draw the water out of the pool of Siloam, come up and pour it out. On the seventh day, they would do the same thing again. But this time, when they arrived at the temple, they would walk around the, around the altar there uh, in the court of the women, the court of Israel. There's a big brazen altar, and they would walk around it seven times, okay? And <clears throat> and they were shouting out, uh, effectively, Hosanna, you know, and, and quoting from passages like... Um, Isaiah uh, 12, 2, 
with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, things like that, right? So the whole, again, the whole thing is a celebration, a calling out for, and a rejoicing in the salvation of God, looking to him, looking to his His presence and his provision, right? I mean, his, his provision, we talk about his provision in salvation, right? And, and I think that great statement um, uh, made to Abraham when he had um, Isaac on the mountain and was about to kill him in, in obedience to God's command. God has provided the lamb, right? He has provided one. He provided a substitute for Isaac. Um, Isaac is such an interesting picture there because he pictures both the father killing his son, right? but also the lamb that God provides as a substitute for Isaac. So there's a lot of symbology going on there, as well as, of course, the expression of, of Abraham's faith, that he believed that God, you know, said, it's through Isaac that your seed will be blessed, right? And, and Hebrews tells us that he reckoned even God could raise him from the dead, you know, or would raise him from the dead, whatever. Okay, so point is that, that this feast is a, an anticipation and a rejoicing in the presence of God and, and provision of God in the past, in the present, and again in the future, right? That's why I kind of, I, I don't know if the term timeless is, is right, but it's not it's not locked in. And Passover is pretty, I mean, it, it definitely anticipated the Lord and it was fulfilled. We celebrate communion tonight, right? And, and that's a, that's the, the Passover has been transitioned into what we celebrate tonight, okay? Um, but there's a sense in which, you know, this feast of all of them sort of uh, caps it all off, right? And it's it's yet to be uh, fulfilled in eternity to come. I guess there's a sense in which it will it is timeless, right? Because it will stretch on in to eternity. <clears throat> all right. So all of that being said, Jesus stands up on that last great day of the feast where they have that final water ceremony, and he says he shouts out, right? And a lot of commentators that I read um, don't, we don't really know at what point was it that this happened. Uh, but it's it's probably not a stretch to believe that he was there in that temple courtyard as they were, you know, going around seven times and the priest has got his, uh, you know, the, 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 the vessel, the, the silver vessel, I'm trying to think of the name of it, the pitcher, I guess, as you could think of it, it's a giant silver pit, pitcher, apparently, that they had to do this, and he's got that thing, and, and you got the music, right, and all of this, and then that solemn, quiet moment, you know, as he's pouring it out, it, it might have been, we don't know, but it might have been that moment in which Jesus shouts out, because that place is packed with lots of people, right, and it's a very poignant moment, and it all points to him as the one who is opening the way to the well of salvation, right? And notice how he phrases this um, here. He says, um, anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Well, that's that's the illustration, right? That's the water. The water's a metaphor. What's it a metaphor for, right? Jesus is not standing there saying, hey, I've got, I've got some water here, guys. Anybody's thirsty, you know, maybe some Coke or tea or something, right? No, no. Obviously, everybody knows it's a metaphor. But what's the metaphor for? Right? Okay. Well, keep reading. He who believes in me as what? The scripture. The scripture 
has said. Okay? So here again, we see the tie of the word of God to water. This is very important because water comes up in a number of places in John. Right? We've already seen it uh, in John 3, where Jesus with Nicodemus says, unless you're born of water and the spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Right? And then again in chapter 4, where he's very obviously, right, with using the well and that whole thing with this, the Samaritan woman. And if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would ask him. He would give you living water, right? <clears throat> and we looked at this <clears throat> last time as well. All these Old Testament scriptures that talk about uh, the living water of God, particularly in Ezekiel. And I'm trying to remember which which chapter it is. I think it's chapter 18. Maybe you're 16. Um, but it does talk about the water of, and it uses the water as an illustration of God's, God's word. Okay. Um, Jesus walked on the water in John 6. Okay. Uh, in John 15. No. John, uh, speaking of water. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. How did you know? You read my mind. <laughs> um, I was like, man, I really use some water about now <laughs> for some reason. Um, in John, it's not 15, it's John 13. I just read this again the other day. John 13, Jesus uses water to wash their feet, right? And then he gets into this little argument with Peter. Remember that? And Peter's like, you're not going to wash my, you're not wash my feet, right? Probably, we'll, we'll talk about why he said that, or why I think he said that when we, when we get there. Uh, and, 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 but Jesus makes this unusual statement. He says, he says, oh, Peter, unless I, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Right? What are you talking about? Peter, is Peter's salvation, his participation in Christ dependent on his feet getting washed right then by Jesus? No, no, no. It's a servant of Christ. Is that? Servant of Christ. It's, what, what he's saying to Peter is, Listen, you are already, in fact, he goes on to say that after Peter says, well, wash my whole body. He says, you're already clean. In fact, the you is plural there. You all, he's referring to everybody. He says, you all are already clean because of the word that I've spoken. Yet one of you is still a devil, right? Mm-hmm. So referring, this was before, and this was, Dorian, I was looking at this the other day. Uh, he even washed the feet of Judas. Think about that. Knowing full well, because he knew, right? He knew already that Judas was going to be the one to betray him. And here he is at the feet of his betrayer washing his feet. Wow. What a powerful example. I guarantee, that's why John, when he wrote that, I think, I think he was probably tearing up, just remembering their, because the gospel tell us they had just been bragging about who was the greatest (laughs) right before this. It's a great, great, when we get there, it's me. So anyway, point is, what is Jesus trying to say with the water there, okay, is that you have already, your whole body's already been washed. In other words, the word of God has already done its work in you. And we're going to see, you see that again in chapter 15 where he says, instead of instead of the word of God being likened to water, it's, it's likened to a pair of shears where the father does the pruning. What is the tool he uses to do the pruning? The word of God, right? And, and the branch also, it doesn't say that directly, but it's inferred, right? The branch has no life in itself apart from the vine, right? Well, what's the vine supplying to the branch? The sap, the energy, the water, if you will, right? Okay, so keep that in mind. Water is an important symbol throughout this gospel. 
And, and so when Jesus stands up here to say that, he believes in me, as Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What's interesting is, is Jesus doesn't say, I am the water. He does say, I am the light of the world, right? So, so in chapter 8 and 9, we're going to see that statement come up twice. And, and, and so that's the other symbol, great national symbol of this feast. But here he doesn't say that, which is interesting because John the Apostle helps us to unpack that with that very last verse of our, of that section, verse 39. He spoke this about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is, <clears throat> is the one who, um, provides that 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 flow or that gush of water out of the person not only does the water come up from within that person and and bring enlightenment and understanding but then it comes out right and so if a person has the holy spirit you have the holy spirit uh the holy spirit is there to help you understand the word of god he's the one that opens your mind so that you can understand and he's also the one that can open your mouth, right? And will open your mouth. I, I you know, not only is evangelism, uh, you might call it that. I, the term has a lot of baggage, so I'm hesitant to use it. Um, witnessing, maybe it's better. <clears throat> not only is witnessing commanded, but it's also promised in Scripture, which, which I find great. I take great comfort in because I don't witness like I would think I like to. But Jesus says to his, uh, you go back and read Acts 1-8, okay? And he says, you will be my witnesses. You will. And how is that accomplished? Well, the Holy Spirit sees to it that that happens. And I'll be honest with you, we've talked about that here. Um, You know, we've talked about how, even without having to say anything, sometimes, you know, work, I'll, I'll meet new people, whatever, they don't know me from whatever, but it doesn't take long before they're apologizing for their language or something. You know? I'm like, dude, don't, you know, <laughs> it's not like I haven't heard these or even said these words, you know, or thought them, <laughs> certainly, right? I you know? I believe there's consent something that I know I felt that when I was over at that church. I think it was just something different, and you can't put your finger on it. You don't know exactly what it is, but there's something there. There is something there. It's the Holy Spirit who also, the uh, Bible says, convicts the world of sin. In other words, he creates that thirst. And then he uses the word of God in your life and that his own work. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is is your character, right? Your, your own character that attracts people. And thank you for sharing that because that is true. Um, and so, that, so let that encourage you, you know, that, that, that even your own life, um, in our own feeble attempts, and you, you, you whip on yourself, you're like me a lot. Man, I, I really need to, you know, Holy Spirit's at work, okay? Let him do that. And look at what Jesus says here. He says, uh, as, whoever believes, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, it doesn't say might, it says it will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are closely entwined like this. And um, I, I think of um, I think of my own 
my own testimony how I, I knew the scriptures I had for many years and believed I was saved and had a lot of knowledge, you know, which uh, now helps me win uh, Sunday school trivia questions. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but it doesn't, the Bible really didn't come alive, if that makes sense, or get, get me excited uh, until I was convicted of sin and convicted of my own need to really seek and be sure that I was, it was real for me, you know, that makes sense. Okay. So the, so the Holy Spirit, it's not, it's not enough, uh, to, to come to church, to know a lot about the Bible, to even be quoting the Bible. Jesus says that has said that already in John chapter five, right? 39 and 40. He says to the, to the religious leaders who made a profession of knowing their whole career and their deep study, their PhDs are in the Bible, right? And he says, you search the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are they who speak of me and you won't come to them. But you may have life. The, the source of life is not in the Bible as an end in itself. We need to say that because... This, this isn't magic. You know, uh, people, people tend to think of it as magic. You know, say the magic prayer or I read the verses. I, I come to church. I do the, I do the little potions and I, I say it all right, you know, and I put the, put the bat wing and the, you know, newts, and the eye of newt and I boil it, you know, in my, my cauldron and I stir it up and poof, out comes an outcome. No. No. We don't, we don't serve and worship the Bible as an end in itself. The Bible is a, pointer right it's 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 a means to restoration to pointing us to christ to him as as the one who opens the way for the father and restoration of of our it's god right it's god we get to know him through this book okay now let's move on our new notes uh I've entitled this Division Over Jesus Continues. Why continues? Well, uh, in preparation for this, I went back. Um, these notes don't have numbers on them. I probably should should put the numbers on there. But anyway, it's um, uh, they're, they're numbered on, on the, uh, <clears throat> if you go online to the Google folder there, you'll see that they are numbered so that they appear in, in the right order. Um, and this is number 30. I think it's 27. So it's a few notes back. Um, we just introduced, I think I called it preview of division, something like that. So, but chapter seven, the predominant theme in chapter seven is this idea of the mixed reactions that people are having to Jesus. Okay, that's just interesting because I've I've kind of struggled a little bit with with how to how to understand what John is doing in chapter seven versus what's happened before and what comes after. Okay, and chapter seven is kind of unique in the whole book because um, it's it's in chapter seven where where you see a lot of sort of flashbacks back and forth between a little bit of what Jesus is saying and a whole lot of crowd reaction. 
In fact, it's predominantly crowd reaction. Jesus really doesn't say a lot. It's not, you know, we just got through reading a very short statement that he made there at the last great day of the feast, and we've seen a few others. He had that little proverb earlier, you don't judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment, right? And he's, you know, um, but he doesn't really say a whole lot in chapter 7. John just alludes to the fact that Jesus did a lot of teaching in the temple as the feast was, was happening, right? Remember, it's seven days plus one. And so Jesus is there. He doesn't come right away. He comes a little bit later. It says in the middle of the feast. And, and, so, and so maybe day three, four, somewhere in there. And he's, as his custom is, he's going to the temple and he's teaching. But John just doesn't tell us a whole lot of what he said. Okay. So how does John, what's interesting about this, think about this compared to chapter, chapter five. Chapter 5 is a dialogue that Jesus has with the Jewish leaders. However, John doesn't tell us anything about what the Jewish leaders actually said. We know what they said. Remember when we were studying that, it's like hearing one side of a phone conversation. Some of you are in a car. My wife is talking to her mom. I can pretty well tell you what her mom is saying just based on the reactions that my wife is making. Okay, That's the way John 5 is. John 5 is... It's really kind of almost a monologue, but you know that Jesus is responding to what they are saying to him based on his reactions, okay? But in chapter 7, it's almost the exact opposite. It's it's all of the reactions from people with very little of what Jesus is saying. That makes sense, okay? So as we as we come to this last section of John 7, I wanted to sort of go back over again the whole chapter and give us a synopsis of of those points. So I, I put a little table on your notes there, and uh, we don't have anybody over here that can pick that up or whatever. I think the whole table is, yeah, the whole table is there on the screen too, so you can see that. Um, so so basically, what we're doing is it, it, this morning is taking a look, just a survey or a synopsis again of chapter seven and all these places where the crowd reactions are recorded, okay? And, and you can see, you know, so remember that, again, the whole Gospel of John is like a, it's like you're sitting down at a movie, and the, pro, the prologue, John the Apostle stands up just before putting the video on about Jesus' life, and he gives you this short little introduction, okay? That's like the prologue. Then he sits down, and he's like, and he slows down at a few points, but he, he goes rapidly through the first two and a half years. There's a few highlights along the way. We see Nicodemus, the woman at the well. We see that conversation in chapter 5 I talked about. And then at 6, at the height of his popularity, and feeding the 5,000 and the many disciples that left the following day. But now he's stopped, and it's, it's the fall of the year before the spring in which he'll be crucified. Very important, okay? So now he's stopped. So we've got about six months left of Jesus's ministry. And now he's hit the play button. Okay. And and from here on out it'll slow down a a, a little bit and, and just kind of the rest of the book really is, is all about the last six months. So um let's just read this opening paragraph together. Okay. As we close chapter seven, John brings to the forefront the mixed reactions to Jesus by those in the nation. 
like a TV director switching the camera back and forth from the main actor to the audience to catch their reactions, John has been showing us glimpses of the growing division starting in chapter 6 and continuing in 7. These varied reactions to him trending toward disfavor will continue through the rest of the book, even among his closest disciples with the betrayal of Jesus and the denial of Peter, which are both recorded in John. Right? They're recorded in all the other Gospels as well, but they're recorded in John too. John is demonstrating his point in the prologue. Quote, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. <clears throat> he came to his own, that is, his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Chapter 7 especially illustrates this point as shown in the synopsis of reactions up to now. So I asked myself this question, why is it so important that John basically takes a whole chapter to show us this mixed reaction? I mean, a whole chapter. Think about that. Okay. I mean, he skipped over a lot of material. Thankfully, we have the other Gospels that fill in, right? Um, but he's slowing down. And the first thing now is he's hitting the play button in these last six months is to show us with, what is the fallout of this first two and a half years of ministry? You would think. It's this, wow, this massive revival. Stadiums are filled to overflowing. The police are having to direct traffic, right? You would expect that. I mean, here's a man that has never seen a disease. He can't speak a word. And it's it's not just, you know, come take two in the mor- and call me in the morning, right? It's It's once you're healed, you're healed. It's done. It's done. And it's a complete healing. It's not, you know, well, okay, now you have the ability to walk again after uh, 30, was it, 39 years. And so and so now it's five years of physical therapy. No. That's it. You're, you're, you're healed. 100%. Everything. Balance. Muscles that have atrophied are now stronger. Everything. Everything is fully functioned. That's amazing. You, you would think by this point, okay, John, what's the reaction? Well, it's mixed. And it tends toward and continues to trend. And you're going to see this as from this point on, we're going to see this picking up steam in the rest of the book. Okay, We've already talked about the limited time offer, right? Thing, And Jesus at various points throughout, and we're going to see this particularly in chapter 12, where he, his, he, gives, he really gives a final warning. Listen, you need to walk in the light while you have it. Mm-hmm. Okay, why is he doing that? Well, because the popular opinion is moving more and more. The majority of people are moving toward rejection of their own Messiah. Wow, I mean that's amazing. And again, he, you know, John told us that in the prologue, and even even more so, even earlier than that, the the apostles, the prophets had foretold that, right? That he was despised and rejected of men. Man of sorrows, an acquainted with grief. We esteemed him stricken by God, smitten by him, right? Where is that found? Sunday school? <coughs> Isaiah 53. Yeah, if you don't know any other chapter in Isaiah, know that one. Okay. 
should know it's an Irish tea. But, uh, <laughs> that one especially. That's often called Isaiah, uh, particularly that passage, actually starts about uh, two-thirds of the way through chapter 52. Okay, And it, the chapter break is unfortunate because it's actually right in the middle of that. But um, that's often called the fifth gospel. The fifth gospel. It's so clear. And he's a man of sorrows, rejected. We esteemed him stricken by God. They thought God was on their side as they were crucifying the Messiah. So the synopsis here, let's go through that. Um, I'll call out the reference. Somebody read it and we'll talk about the type, all right? Seven, verse one. Do you want us to read it in the thing? Yeah, you might. Just read it right there. That way it'll take a lot of time. Verse 1. He would not go about Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Is that a, a pro or con mixed? What is that? What's the reaction here? Oh, yeah. Very hostile. Very cool. It's not a trick question, guys. Yeah. Very clearly, right? So remember that he already knew about the scheme that they had. Uh, and this is another interesting question is, is how serious were they in trying to do this? Um, it, it's, it's not until chapter 11 where, where the leaders get serious enough to convene a special, we would call today Congress, okay, to call a special session of the Sanhedrin to deal with him, okay? But they, but nevertheless, they have had almost from the very beginning, uh, this desire to kill him or to at least take him out of public, uh, circulation, if you will. Okay. Verse five. And not even his brother believed in him. Pro or con? Right. Wow. Remember we talked about what a lonely and sad feeling that is, um, for, for, for all of us, and that's I think all of us here, you know, we all have family members that we love who don't believe as you do. Jesus knows what that's like. Okay? So that's verse 5. Okay, uh, verses 12 to 13. Anybody? There was much uh, muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet the fear of the Jews no one spoke openly of him. What type of reaction is that? Oh. So that's a mixed reaction. That's mixed, isn't it? Yeah, that's mixed. Somebody online? <clears throat> Something to say? So, speed, speed One in London has hit hard too, hospitals are at full capacity. So it was a huge relief when regulators... If, if you're not uh, speaking online, if you can mute, please. Thank you. Um, so, uh, verse 15. Okay. Is that uh, mixed or pro or con? This 
Yeah, it's it's. Um, I put con down there, but it, that one's a that one's a tough one. It's not like verse one. Verse one, you know, that's pretty clear, right? And, and verse five, brothers against him. <clears throat> I said they marveled. They marveled, but I put con down here because the majority of the opinion look at who's what, which group this is. And notice, by the way, too, the different groups that John has. Okay, so you have his family. You have the Jews, right? We know about the Jews. That's all chapter 5, right? Those are his enemies, his stated enemies. Um, and they're, they're in opposition to him. And um, But here, um, the Jews, again, marvel. <clears throat> How is it that he has this learning he's never studied? In other words, um, he doesn't um, he hasn't been to our seminaries. He hasn't got our doctorate degrees and so forth, and he doesn't go around quoting uh, the Mishnah and the, and the Talmud and all of these these great bodies of, of rabbinic commentary that have been around for generations and respected so much, you know. And and the the majority, even though that's a question, and says they marveled there. I think it was it's it's. When you get the whole sense of what's being said in the context, it seems to be uh, more or less a dig. How does he know all this stuff? And he's, you know, it's so unlearned. You know, he's, you know, for, to put it this way, you know, for somebody who knows so little about rabbinic tradition and the law, you sure have a lot to say. Okay, that's why I put comment. But you're right. All that being said, and we're going to see this particularly in our section here, not, listen, it's important we don't think of the Jewish leaders as all against him. Because there's a foremost example, Nicodemus particularly, who appears three times. He's going to show up in this chapter as well. And then again, I think in verse uh, chapter 19. So it's chapter 3, chapter 7, and chapter 19. Nicodemus shows up three times. And Nicodemus is John's example of one of those people that he mentions in the prologue who did believe in him and received him and, be, and got the right to be a child of God. Okay? And I think what John is trying to tell us is that, yes, the preponderance of the leaders was against Jesus, but not all of them. And he's going to tell us this in chapter 12 as well, too, that there were others in addition to Nicodemus who are of prominence, who believe as well. Okay. He wasn't wasn't that what was the man's name who carried Jesus' cross? Or they grabbed him and he oh, carried his cross. Simon. Simon. And apparently I I don't know, I listened to a, a message by John MacArthur who said that according to his studies and so forth, that this man was also a a believer. And somewhat of a prominent person um, who who ended up doing it. So if he was a believer too, because you really don't hear about him. But uh, but being a prominent man, um, he was also one of the ones who did believe. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. I'd never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Is it Ray Bolts has a song about that? That he from Simon's perspective, I forget the name of it. But Watch the land, I think is the song, right? And as they're with, uh, we're in Jerusalem with my two sons, he says. And uh, one of them, particularly Rufus, is mentioned several times, mentioned in Romans, among other places, which is interesting. So not only 
not only him, but I think in the song it's speculating that he was there with his two boys that might have seen it as well. They all became believers. And there are other people of prominence, We're gonna, which is interesting to me, something I learned recently is that evidently Martha particularly was wealthy. Martha was a very influential person. Martha and Mary were well-known, well-known. And, and people of money are well-known <laughs> in, in Jerusalem. Okay, And we'll see that in chapter 11. It's just amazing how God orchestrates a huge audience of very well-respected, upper-crust people to be there to see the resurrection of Lazarus. Yeah, that's really kind of cool. But this is, John, what John is showing us here, I think, is, is that even though throughout the book, and actually all the Gospels, right, it, it's very easy to, to lump them all together, all, the, all of those Pharisees or all those Sadducees or the chief priests or the scribes, all of those people that, that John summarizes with that term, the Jews, are all against Jesus, but that's not that way. It's really not that way. Uh, the majority of them are, and it turns out that really Caiaphas turns it turns out to be the one who sways the rest of the fence sitters in the direction. Well, it says several times that, uh, that the leaders sometimes feared the people because they felt that the people were taking up to Jesus. Yeah, right. And also not only for Jesus but also for John the Baptist, yeah, right? Yeah. Jesus uses that in that that trick question. <laughs> All right, so, uh, by the way, anybody online wants to read, too, jump in, okay? So, um, again, going through this, uh, these, these highlights from John 7 to show the reactions to Jesus, okay? So that we just got through with verse 15. Somebody read verse 20. The crowd answered, you have a demon, you're crazy. Who is seeking to kill you? All right, I just put that in brackets there, <clears throat> reminding us that that, that it's not an accusation as much as it is an idiom. You know, you've lost your mind. Who's seeking to kill you? Um, is that a pro-con mixed? It's kind of like the one in verse 15. Yeah, it's a mix. Yeah, it could be. It could kind of be mixed. Yep, it sure could. Um, so the crowd, I mean, the, the people there that were for him, the people that were against him. Well, we definitely see that in, in the next one. Well, they probably knew they were trying to kill him. I mean, they, they, but they didn't want to confess it. No. They don't. Well. And they came up like maybe. We see that in politics today. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that's the case here. I don't, I don't think so because of what's said next. These people, remember, this is, this is Feast of Tabernacles, right? There's a lot of Jews coming from all over. And what John is showing us in verse 20, look at verse 25, okay, since you brought that up. The next one, some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, is this not the man they seek to kill? See that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what John is telling us is the larger crowd from all kinds of other places doesn't, they don't know yet. about it's. Listen, it's not, remember what I said it's not until chapter 11 when they have the final formal convening of the Sanhedrin that the final, the formal, it's almost like a papal bull. You know what a papal bull is? That's where they have a congregation, congregant, many times, not always, but sometimes they'll get the cardinals together and, and the Pope is like the, the chief cardinal, if you will, okay? <clears throat> and, and so the papal bull is they'll, 
they'll issue this um, this edict from the Pope, and he signs it and seals it, whatever, that, you know, says, go get that person, okay? So what we're thinking of, kind of the way we understand it now is top most, ten most wanted list, okay? It's not until chapter 11 that Jesus makes the official wanted list, okay? So by this point, though, even though they wanted to kill him up to now, it's only the people in Jerusalem who know that. Okay, so I understand what you're saying, and that, and that could be that is part of the mix. Again, John doesn't really tell us, um, but he does seem to contrast that with verse 25. And John is very careful to say that there that again, people are, we're not surprised, right? There's a large group of people, and when you have a large group of people, opinions are all over the place, right? People see things totally different ways. They see the same thing. Two people can see the same thing and completely, <laughs> if they're called as witnesses in the court, give completely different accounts of it. Okay? So on the one hand, you do have the crowd. And I, I put this here as a con, right? That they're, I think it's, I think the attitude in the context seems to be like, yeah, you're crazy. Who's trying to kill you? What are you talking about? Right? Who's trying to kill you? Okay. You, you've lost your mind. So I put that as con, though it could be mixed. All right. So somebody read that next. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Okay. Pro con mixed. He's saying mixed here. And I think some of it has to do also with some of the people are saying, you know, they're saying some of the people have actually seen some things that he has done. Some people have heard some things that he has said. Plus, you've got all of these opinions of people who have heard pieces and parts. Um, so it's just, it, it's not like, like uh, <clears throat> the news and so forth that we have here today that travels very fast and we all get all of the information or whatever information we want to give to us, okay? There, it's mainly by word of mouth. And so people are hearing things, people are seeing things, and then here at the end, but we know where this man's from, and some people are like, well, where, where is he from? Okay, well, where'd you hear he's from? And this, da, 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 da. So it's just like a big menagerie of information and then all of these people and then some people are more riotous than other people and some people are quietly whispering. And I mean it's just it's just like a whole bunch of stuff going on at the same time and there's not any real clear information passing from one person to the next in this. I mean the only person that's speaking any truth at all is Jesus himself. <laughs> and and with everything that's going on, it's so noisy and so loud and so busy and, you know, it's just a mess. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So, I mean, for so for there to be mixed emotions and some people are like, you're crazy. Well, why do you say he's crazy? Or why do you think he's trying to kill us? Well, because he's dead. So it's just still everybody's trying to, it's a mess. So that's why I say it's probably mixed, yes. Yeah, I think you said it very well. I think you said it exactly right. And when I was listening to John John's messages on this chapter, he used the word confused a lot. You know, 
to describe this, and you certainly get that sense out here. One thing that, that above it all, though, or the thing we don't want to lose sight of, and I think this is what John is really trying to get through to us in this chapter, is that Jesus is the main topic of conversation. There's a lot of people here for this feast, right? It's a big, big deal. <clears throat> but everybody is looking for him. Remember at the beginning, where is he? And then halfway through the feast, he shows up in the temple, and there's all this chatter, like you say. Especially at the beginning of the chapter, uh, people's opinions are quiet not because they, they're, not, they're not speaking openly about him, John says, because of fear of the Jews, right? But then as time goes on and Jesus is speaking in the temple, people start getting a little louder in their opinions, and they start getting more and more polarized. And there's some that are that are saying, you know, as it says in this text here, is this not the man they seek to kill? And, and here he is speaking openly. They have nothing. Uh, uh, they say nothing to him. Could it be the authorities really know he is the Christ? Okay. And 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 when we went through that, <clears throat> even though the, the quotation mark doesn't end until the very end there, I think the quotation mark should end with that with that question mark, and then the next quotation mark should start with the but there okay that's my opinion because i think john is is giving us a synopsis of two sort of or a summary if you will of two different kinds of opinions there are people who are wondering about him but then there are others who are who are defending their conclusion that he's not the christ okay and you can see that in that last sentence there okay but we know where this man comes from when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from, right? And I remember my wife, when we read that, saying, yeah, but isn't that Bethlehem, right? Okay, well, guess what? We're going to deal with that now in this section, okay, where the crowd comes comes back with this this other answer, okay? But you're right. It is, it is mixed. Um, so here he is speaking openly. Maybe the authorities have, have decided he's the Christ, you know? These are these are people sitting on the fence. They're kind of waiting for, well, uh, you know, what's your opinion of, of the president? Well, I haven't read enough polls yet. You think a lot of my mind. You know, it's like, well, I'm not sure yet. I, I haven't heard the, the evening news commentary on this, and you know, so. And I think a lot of people were confused. I think a lot of people were going to go with the majority. They're saying they would want to go. Okay, we got to. You know what I'm saying? That's what today people do today. A lot of people don't do their research on who to vote for or what to do. They just go with the majority. That's right. Okay. So I think this, a lot of this, I mean, times haven't changed that much. I think a lot of these people were like, okay, should we, should we, should we be with the people that want to kill him or should we be the people, with the people that want to be, you know, that, you know, they had no idea. I think a lot of them were wishy-washy, like you said, were on the fence. And they were just waiting to see where the majority went. Where the majority went, they're going to go. Because they don't want to look like the bad guy if they went the other way where they weren't supposed to go with what most people went. I mean, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I just, I think a lot of them were just so, I don't know, that they were just, which this thing happens. So you almost have three groups there. Yeah. You have, you have those that are definitely wanting to get rid of him and kill him. Those that believe him want to follow him, and those are going. We don't know which way to go. We're going to find out which all the which, which mainly the mass goes, and which way the big mass goes, we'll go. So we don't look like the bad guy. There's very, there's very much a fickle middle yeah. ground there, isn't there? Yeah. 
All right. Um, so we are out of time. <clears throat> uh, let's let's read the last three quickly. Anybody online want to read those? Read one. Verse 30 to 31. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Thank you, Aaron. Pro, con, mixed. Very good. Yeah, this one's pretty clear in the mixed category, right? As far as the type, right? Um, some, some were seeking to arrest him. That's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> actually, uh, it says they, that the only ones who had authority to do that would be the chief priests. Okay. Not even the Pharisees. So what's interesting is we're going, we've already seen in chapter seven, we see, we're going to see this here in this section we're in now where the chief priests and the Pharisees worked together to try to arrest him. The Pharisees didn't have authority to arrest him. They had the, they had authority to cast people out of the synagogue. We'll see that in chapter 9. They exercised that with the blind man, the man born blind. But they don't have the authority to arrest. Only the chief priests do that. So that's the, they, they're trying to get him arrested, but no one made a hand on him. Okay, it's interesting. This is our not come. Yet, many of the people, what? Believe. Many believe. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, all right. Uh, next, next verse, verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Pro con mixed. Oh, very much against him, right? The Pharisees. Good. Thank you. Okay. Now the last, the last one. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he, does he intend to go to, um, the, uh, I messed up my uh, reading here. Dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks. What does he mean? By saying, will you seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Is that pro, con, or mixed? Talk about two different nationalities here, Jews and Greeks. Well, that's the reaction. These are all Jews, by the way. These are not Greeks here. Yeah. I put mixed, and it could be con. It could be con. You could be right about that. But I think by this point, still, there's that, there's that confusion. There's a mixed reaction here. Again, okay? And, and, um, it tends toward the con, that's for sure. Okay. Because they're, what they're saying, it actually, it gets really hard later when, when, and, um, where they're, where they're going to say, he tells them, I think it's in chapter eight, he says, uh, where I'm going, you cannot come. 
again, and they they have made up their mind. By this point, it's the Jew Jewish leaders. Well, you must be talking about committing suicide. <laughs> but by this point, it's still they still they haven't they don't want to say well he's going to heaven, but they haven't said well he's going to commit suicide and go to hell either. So there's a there's a mixed reaction here. Okay. Just my opinion, but Joe, you can you can put down that put that down a comment if you like. All right. Any uh, any thoughts about this as we finish up today? Next time we'll get into the text itself that's in front of us, and we'll see how all of this reaction. The thing I wanted to wanted to see though is is the mixed reaction that's going on, and behind all of this though. There definitely seems to be a progression. The majority of people are moving in the direction of being against him, but there are a lot that are moving in the direction of being for him. And there's still a lot of people who are questioning, right? There's still a lot. There's there's the Nicodemuses as well, you know, which we haven't gotten to yet. Where I think Nicodemus sort of expresses that that um, analytical mind to sit back and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's, let's not draw any conclusions yet. Let's get the facts in, right?" There's, there's some of that as That's well. That's why he came in chapter 3. That's why he came in chapter 3. So we'll, we'll see all of that and we'll talk about it next time. <clears throat> Father, thank you for, uh, for your word this morning. Pray that you bless to our, to our hearts and thoughts. And as far as application goes, we ourselves need to be sure that we aren't sitting on the fence, but that we are, Amen. are those who are, um, yes, you, you are um, able to take our questions and give us answers. But our questions need to be legitimate questions, not just excuses not to believe. And so um, I pray that for ourselves personally that we would be sure that we uh, know you, not just know facts about you, but that we know you. And um, and then for others as well to... to uh, as, as we seek to witness to challenge people to, to believe and to uh, search the scriptures for themselves, to call out to you and to uh, find answers. Um, it seems like there are very few people in our culture today who are really asking these kind of questions, but uh, help us to be faithful nevertheless to sow the seed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.